0: Check one, check one, two, three. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. My guest today is a freelance sound mixer who has worked on commercials, documentaries, reality, and narrative. He's based out of Boston, Massachusetts. Please welcome Jim Keeney.
1: Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, glad to be here. I'm a big fan of this uh, podcast. I listen to it all the time. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's a little surreal, actually. I feel like I'm talking
0: to a celebrity right now. Oh, no. No celebrities here. <laughs> in our world, you're a celebrity. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, we'll we'll start off with our top question. When you're working as a production sound mixer on set, tell us what's in your audio bag. So just kind of give us a rundown of all your gear and preferred mics and all the goodies.
1: All right. I got a ton of gear. I basically am at the point where I have two bags going on right now. One is a the smaller bag is like a K-Tech Stingray Junior. It's got a Sound Device six three three with a pair of Electrosonics SRC receivers in it. I got a pair of the newer wideband SNDWBs, I think, whatever the double battery ones are, and then I have a pair of the single batteries. And then I've got some older um, SRBs as well with some SMQVs. The small bag I usually leave wired for four channels and then a boom. I use the Root BDS, which is like the DHBG something. It's got two switches on it. It's got the eSmart batteries. The larger bag is kind of like very similar to it. Instead of the 633, it's a 688. And I have a SL6 accessory on there, which is like the... It holds three slot receivers, basically, and you can do, like, scanning through the 688 with it, which is nice. And I also have a CL6 on that as well, which gives you the bigger row of faders for channels like uh, 7 through 12. And then when I go to the 688 bag, I'll just kind of hot swap receivers in and out of there from the smaller bag if I need to.
0: And Timecode, what do you like for Timecode? Timecode, I really like the Betso TCX2s.
1: They are pretty small and light, and they run on single double A. What I like the most about them is that they have a display so you can actually see what's going on. And I don't have to use like an app or anything like that. That's kind of what sold me on going that route.
0: And uh, shotgun
1: mics, what do you prefer? I have a 416 and then I also have the CMIT 5U, the Sankin CS3E, which I like. I like that for outdoors. I feel like it's good for like high noise environments. Like if you're doing like press conference kind of stuff where you're just kind of running gun. It's really directional, and I feel like it uh, rejects really well. But the c great too because it's um, it's got a wider pattern. I feel like so it's a little more forgiving if you're booming multiple people with that, and it just sounds awesome. So that's it for shotguns. And then I have some like um, cardioid mics as well that I like to use for indoors, like um, a pair of Sheps uh, 641s. And then my most recent purchase was Sennheiser MKH50, which. Is kind of like the interview mic that everyone seems to like. And um, I kept seeing it on like narrative sets. And so I got to hear it more and more. And I was like, yeah, I should probably get one of these. It almost sounds kind of like more broadcasty or something. It's got like, it's a little like souped up, but it sounds great. It almost sounds like a podcast kind of quality microphone. If you can get close and for like sit down interviews, talking heads, I feel like it's just like, I, I don't know. There's, even the Shep 641 is great for that too. But I, there's something about that, the 50, it's just like, I don't know, it just sounds like it's already compressed and, like, processed and stuff. It sounds really, like, finished.
0: Okay. Uh, what kind of lav mics do you use, usually?
1: Labs. I, I usually
0: use either
1: the uh, cost 11s are like, my first choice, typically. But I do own, it like, a few different colors of the B6s as well because I like to do the little buttonhole trick. I do a lot of, like, corporate and talking heads and docs and stuff like that. So I feel like if you ever get, like, a button-down shirt kind of deal, I love to just do, like, the where you can conceal it right behind the... Uh, like their second button down, and the B6s are good for that most of the time. Sometimes they really just don't handle wind well or plosives sometimes, so that can like kill you sometimes. But I like them as far as hideability, they're really good and the wire is super thin, so.
0: And what's your preferred headphones? Headphones, I've been
1: rocking the 7506s forever. Um, I started out in, in radio, so that was where I first met the 7506s. And everyone in that world was using them. So I bought a pair and they're cheap, you know, they're like a hundred bucks and they sound pretty good. And so I've been sticking with those for a while. I just recently in like the last year bought a pair of the remote audio, the high noise ones, like those giant like helicopter pilot, HN five oh sixes, I think they're called. I've actually been just using those like all the time now cause I just got used to them. I hear some people don't like them cause they're heavy and they're sweaty, but I don't know. I just like the isolation like once you have that amount of isolation it's hard to go back to like regular headphones cuz uh they really do isolate like I feel like that's probably how I'm going to die is like I'm going to get hit by a truck or something cuz like not going to hear it coming like it's crazy how much they isolate it's essentially like I think that they're actually made for pilots cuz it says pilot like etched into the into the cups on the side so
0: that's cool. Yeah, no, I think we all, you know, reach up sometimes and we'll push the headphones in real tight, you know, in a noisy environment and just to try to get a little bit more isolation. But yeah, I've been thinking about getting some of those too, because I love, I love me some good, quiet monitoring.
1: Yeah, there, especially with wind too, that was the thing I noticed, because sometimes you'll get tricked by wind noise. You think it's coming in on the mic and it's not, it's actually coming into your ears. I've definitely had shoots where I was sweating, being like, oh, my God, this sounds so windy right now, but I can't do anything about it. And then I listen back to it. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It was just wind blasting through the uh, headphones. So they also sell. They're kind of pricey. I think they're like 400 and something dollars, but uh, they're great. And then they make another one. And I bought these and I like haven't really even used them yet. But they make one with like a little headset mic built into it. So for talkback, which would be good if you do like cart work and stuff like that.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about. I guess you worked on a docu TV series, "My Last Days," and it was it looked really very moving. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that project.
1: Yeah, "My Last Days." That's a show. I think it was air, I think it aired on the, the CW network. And uh, I just did that one episode, and it's a show about. <sighs> it, it's kind of a weird. It's kind of a dark show because it's sort of about people who have like terminal illnesses. Um, and so the guy we were following was this really nice guy who, I guess he used to work as like a bouncer at a club for most of his life. And he was apparently got in like so many fights that he had so much trauma to his head or something like that, that it got to a point where he was told by the doctor allegedly that it's a matter of time kind of thing. And so we followed him around and he was actually doing a lot of good stuff for his town. He, he put together this like, um, forget he was like collecting bikes and re kind of like reworking them and and then donating them to kids who didn't have bikes so it was a nice story he was a nice guy
0: yeah it looked like you guys did sit down interviews there was a a, like a public award ceremony and he had a podium mic and b-roll shots with nat sound i I was watching the little clip on your website so i mean were there any particular technical challenges on set when you were recording that thing
1: it's funny i'm glad you mentioned that because i kind of forgot about the details of the shoot but yeah, so they shot that on... They shot a few different times. They came to town a couple different times. They're an out-of-state out of, out of state production company. They shot it, like, the first time with the pair of cameras. I think they were, like, uh, Alexas, like an Alexa and an Amira. And then the, the next time they came back with three cameras. And this is just, like, a Verite-style show. Like, we're just following this guy around. And uh, at one point, they were, like, just we walked up to two people that he was talking to, and I had to boom it. And of course, they're like shooting it literally every way. Like they're almost in each other's shots at this point, the three camera guys. So I'm just trying to stay up with at least one of them. So if he if I'm in, he's in too. Um, but yeah, it was a little weird. I feel like some at some point for uh, reality style shows, like there can be too many cameras, you know, because it's just like every, no one can get a shot because everyone's in, in someone else's shot. And I remember booming this woman he was talking to at some point and the camera guy was shooting from like in the garage and he was shooting super wide. And he's like looking at me like, bring the boom up. He's giving me this like, you know, thumbs up or whatever. And I'm just like, no, just shaking my head like I can't like you're not going to be able to hear. So what's it worth? So there was that. And then, yeah, we did this um, awards thing, sort of like an awards ceremony. They gave him an award at the town hall. But uh, in typical reality fashion, for things like this, nobody knew what was gonna unfold or how, what order things were gonna happen in. So I think I just put like a, I taped like a lav mic to a couple of the podium mics, but I didn't know which, po- there was like, literally like three or four podiums in this room. I'm like, I don't know where he's gonna go. And so the whole time I'm asking around, being like, hey, where do you think this guy will land? And everyone was just, even the people working there just shrugging like, I don't know. So uh, I had him mic'd up with a lav, I believe, and then, I think I just um, put a couple labs on the other podiums because I think it was like some city official who was giving him the award. And sure enough, I picked the wrong podium. I swear there was like four podiums and I picked like three. And they were, it was like, you know, of course, the one I didn't I didn't grab. And luckily, the the guy who was sitting next to the person who was about to start speaking totally noticed it. And he went over, and I saw him pull my lav off the, uh, the the adjacent podium, and he moved it for me. And I like just gave him like the biggest thank you ever at the end. I was like, "Oh man, you saved me!" Because like all I could do at that point was you know, boom a speaker in the room, which would have sounded horrible. So it all worked out. But yeah, other than that, it was you know pretty typical, you know, docu series, docu follow
0: kind of deal. Yeah, how often does that happen where someone moves a mic for you and it and it's a good thing?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I know. Usually, like, that would be the worst thing ever. But, no, he he totally caught it. He saw it was about to unfold, and he hooked me up big time. Nice.
0: All right, I saw another one on your website, Jeff Ross Roasts Cops. So <laughs> can you tell us about that? Because he's raw, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting one. They shot this special for with Jeff Ross, the comedian. So his whole deal is he's, like, the roast master guy. Who's, that's his whole shtick is that he makes fun of everybody. And uh, he was a nice guy to work with. And we basically did a bunch of ride alongs for I think it was like three or four days in a row with the Boston Police Department. But it was weird when we started this shoot because, again, it's sometimes like it's amazing to me that like a shoot of this size will be so seemingly unorganized. Like they're just winging it, really. And I mean, even, you know, the the line producer, or the showrunner, whoever I was I was talking to. They told us that in the front, in the beginning, they were like, we don't really know what's going to happen. We're just going in there and seeing, but apparently there was this big controversy when he got to the Boston police station where, uh, uh the police department had, uh, apparently heard some negative things about him in regards to the police. Like, I think someone said they saw him at some anti-police, is that even a thing? Anti-police rally, some kind of rally where, you know, people were, I don't know pissed off at the cops for some reason. And um, he was there, and he actually used that footage in his show, but it wasn't really to, to support that. It was just to show that that exists, I guess. But man, I thought the shoot wasn't gonna happen when it first started, because he was just like... Uh, <laughs> uh, they didn't want to talk to him. They would not play along. And, and the first thing they tried to do is they put him in a room with probably 30 or 40 officers like roll call before they go out to do their various assignments. And he's trying to do his little shtick, like he's got these joke, these pol- these police-specific jokes lined up, and they're just bombing left and right, like crickets. And uh, and, the, and again, if you watch the, the the special, they put it in there, like it's they're not trying to hide the fact that it wasn't working, and they totally call it out. So it all worked out. Um, by the end, like yeah, they, a lot of the, them seem to warm up to him. They did a, uh, I think they did a comedy stand-up, like an actual stand-up performance for the police at a comedy club. But I wasn't around for that. I, I don't know who they used to, uh, to capture that, but um, that's the only part of that special I didn't have anything to do with. But yeah, everything, all the Verite stuff um, was us just in a follow van, you know, listening via IFBs. And I think with a lot of the car work, I just did uh, labs on everybody. And I might've done a couple plant mics. I think I just planted a lav in the visors maybe as well. And then I probably did one. I think Jeff was sitting in the back seat for most of it. So I just hid one like behind the headrest of the driver. So it was real close. But I don't know what they ended up using, but it sounded pretty good. So I guess they got what they needed.
0: Yeah. Do you have any techniques? I know on your, your YouTube channel, you have some cool videos on micing a car and all that.
1: Yeah. I did um, I did a YouTube video recently about uh, five different ways to mic up cars. And I put it on YouTube I'm not really sure what I'm doing with my YouTube channel because it turns out that it's a, a whole lot of work to make those videos. I think it's cool to kind of like, just kind of geek out on it and share that stuff. And, you know, and people seem to really like that one. And actually that I had like a hundred followers before that video. And then like after that video, I think I'm almost up around 500. So people seem to like actually share it and stuff, which was pretty crazy. Um, but as far as techniques, um, if you watch the video, Yeah. It's it's just showing you a handful of ways. Like when I worked on some narrative stuff, we would try to put like a, like a MKH 50 in between the uh, seats, like kind of coming up from the console. And we would do some kind of like a, uh, like a dinkum arm, you know, some kind of bendy mount like that. And then there's a few different options for the visor. One of them was, um, the Sankin makes a cub microphone, which is like a, uh, I guess it's not officially like a, an Omni, it's like a sort of a hybrid Omni, hemispherical pattern, pickup pattern, something like that, where it's, it seems Omni-ish, but there is like a point on the mic that's just a little more present than the rest of the mic. So, um, and that one sounded pretty good. And then I bought a pair of, um, this is kind of what sparked me to to do these tests, uh, a pair of, uh, Peter Ng makes this little mic called the Omni Goose, and it's, um, it's like a six inch, Podium mic kind of like a micro flex like sure microphone you see on a podium and he cuts it into like a six inch section and The capsule is a omni and It plugs directly into electrosonics. It's wired for ta5 So I put a pair of those in the visors and those actually sounded really good I think I I forget what I ended up thinking was the best but I want to say it was the omni uh, the omni goose and then I just did like labs as well and just kind of gave some tips on where to place it, you know, with uh, keeping the seatbelt placement in mind and stuff like that. So if anyone listening wants to check it out, uh, youtube.com. I forget what the slash is, but just search uh, hub location sound. That's my uh, company name. So that's what it's under. Okay,
0: yeah, you had another good one uh, about talking about what's in your what's in your audio bag. So that was pretty cool too. I liked how you kind of you broke it all down and then showed your Velcro attachments and everything with your uh, six. I guess was it six thirty three or was it your?
1: Yeah, thanks. That, that's the the smaller bag. So, yeah, if you look at that bag, that's essentially what my big bag looks like because I just use the same like line of bags. Like uh, I think it's the K-Tex Stingray Large for the the bigger one. But yeah, and I, what I did with with that one is. Sort of custom, I, I made these like um, D sub, like the DB 25, 25 pin connectors, because if you use the SL6, that's how they're how they're uh, set up. So you have to use the back plates that match those on your receivers. But if you're jumping to like um, a 633 like I was, I decided to just make connectors wired into the, into the 633. That way you can hot swap them very quickly. You can just pull one out, and go into the other bag, so. But, yeah, there's all kinds of little weird little modifications. I love to, like, tinker and try to make things smaller and smarter and faster.
0: Yeah, I liked how you had that Velcro patch on the back and then everything just Velcroed to the, the mixer itself versus, you know, a lot of times we're splitting them up into separate pockets and things like that.
1: Oh, yeah. With, with that, I don't know if I ever explained that in the video. That All that really is is, if um, you ever see like, lawn signs for politicians and stuff they're made out of like that plastic kind of sheet of plastic it's called coroplast and so yeah i just bought a sheet of that off uh i don't know ebay or amazon or something and just cut it to fit the exact kind of footprint of the top of the 633 and then i just lined it with velcro and i find that easier and to be honest it's lighter like i know there's people that make these really cool dashboards and stuff but they just take up more space and they add more weight to the bag so Velcro's fine for me like they they stay pretty snug in there so i don't I don't know. I don't think I need a legit dashboard. Plus, I'm always trying to keep the bag as light as possible because I, I keep adding stuff to it.
0: Yeah. So one of our listeners had asked if you reset your mixer on every new project. And if you also do you have uh, user presets that you've created?
1: I was just thinking about this the other day because I do have user presets because some jobs I do, you know, over and over again for the same clients. And so you kind of know what it's going to be. But, you know, what's funny is I feel like I just kind of forget sometimes that I have those presets and I just pick it up from wherever I left off. But that can burn you sometimes, though, too, because I definitely <laughs> there's a gig I was on where worked with this client. And then the next day I worked with the same client, but it was a different kind of shoot. And the the producers like yelling from across the the, the property, like, I'm hearing an echo. What's this echo? <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening to my bag. I'm like, I don't hear an echo. What's this guy talking about? He's like, yeah, there's an echo. And I'm like, it's weird because we just used the same exact camera and everything yesterday, like well, there shouldn't be any. So I think I looked at my input delays to see if something got magically turned on, which I never touch input delays and didn't see anything. Sure enough, I had left like an output delay that I had put on for the job for the day before that. And so he was right. But what's funny is I couldn't hear, I couldn't hear an echo and the only reason he was noticing it was because he was standing next to talent who had a lab on. So when he talked to them, he would, it was more noticeable to him But me being far away, I'm like, no, they sound great. I don't know what your problem is, man. What's going on here? (laughs) So, but so yeah, presets are cool. No, I'm not like super stringent about that. Like I probably should just make a a good handful of ones that I, I definitely have a a good, you know what I do is I do have a starting preset because there have been times where I've turned the mixer on and it's just like, like defaulted back to factory settings for whatever reason. Like it's some, I don't know, some hocus pocus going on with something, but and if that ever happens, like, you know, when you're not expecting it and you need to roll fast, uh, it's nice to have at least like a starting point where you can say, hey, tell Channel 1 that it's supposed to have Phantom Power on it and tell, you know, the other channels that they're line level or whatever, however you have it set up. So, yeah, I, I do think it's useful.
0: All right. Well, there was another sci-fi drama film you worked on called Ascendance Horizon. And I was watching a little bit of that preview on your, on your website as well. That looked kind of interesting.
1: It's this guy that I do a lot of corporate work for who had sort of his, like, passion project, indie film. And I think he broke it up into, um, like, series. I think it's in four parts. So I worked on the fourth one. Yeah, it was just, like, one-man banding, narrative, boom, boom and bag. Just a lot of, like, you know, two people talking to each other kind of dialogue. Nothing too crazy about it, to be honest. But, yeah, we got to shoot up in, I think it was Vermont, a couple times. And it was really, you know, really nice up there and they hooked us up with uh, a good place to stay and
0: all that. So it was kind of fun. Any particular challenges on that one?
1: You know, one thing that was sort of challenging about that was we're up in Vermont and we're out in this field and it was super just windy. So, you know, I had like a full on blimp going, but yeah, just trying to get like usable labs with all the wind and stuff, it could be tough. Like today I was out on a boat, you know, there's only so much wind you can blast into a lab before it's like, oh, this isn't gonna work. LMC makes these like furry, I think they're called furry four S's or something like that. But it looks like a, like a, uh, almost like the stock arm 11 that comes with Cos 11s, but then one side's just like fur only downside of those that I could say is that they're the back is rubber. That's where you'd put your adhesive, but because it's like one whole side of it's rubber, I feel like if you have to turn it around, so it's facing into their body, the rubber sides on the outside. And it just really kind of makes it sound a little, a little too dull in my opinion. I wrote them an email and asked them if they could like figure out a way to like cut a little half moon, like right, right where the, the grill is and kind of like wrap the furry around it. And they said they would work on it. So who knows if they really will. <laughs> but those are like, those are the best I've found. And they're the easiest to put on people quickly. The other ones I like are Bubble Bee Makes. I forget what they're called, but it's just like this little poof of fur and it's got a little hole in it with like two little strings sticking out and you just you can jam a cost leather in there, but they're just not as easy to mount because then you just have like this giant lollipop, and you're like, "I need to like tape it to something," but then it ends up smushing all the fur on one side against either the body or the clothing or whatever. So, I use those when I'm like out of ideas. That's when I like I'm like, "All right, let's try this
0: thing." Well, you know, speaking of expendables, do you have any particular ones that you like the best?
1: Lately, I've, I've been getting into this uh, Bubblebee Industries made this new set of lav concealers and i think they're just called lav concealer and they make them for a few different mics i use the cost 11 ones and i think they make them for the dpa's as well and maybe like one of the sennheiser mics again it's sort of derivative of like the uh, the rm11 but it's a little more contoured the rubber's a little softer and lighter and then they put this little i thought it was kind of like a weird gimmick at first but they they put this little like um it's like the little paper clip trick where you I don't know if you've ever tried this where you need to get clothing off of the mic so you like tape a little piece of a paperclip and you make like a little bridge, like a little arc over the grill of the mic. But they built that into their mount so you can add it or remove it if you want. And I always just leave them in because it's pretty low profile even with that thing on there. And I'd say like for most like typical costumes, like t-shirts and hoodies and blouses and whatever, they work like 99% of the time. So lately that's been my like my jam. And those and the Furries are like my two most used mounting, like, concealer mounts. And then after that, I do like the Ursa mini mounts. They're like these hard, I think they're plastic, some kind of hard plastic. they really form to like the cost 11 body, so they're not very big. So if you ever do like a, like a t-shirt and it's a tight shirt where you can't see the cable, so you maybe you go over their shoulder. I like it because you can run it like uh, horizontally, like right in the rim of the collar. And it's small enough where it doesn't like sag down too much. It doesn't add too much weight. So those are my main ones. Otherwise straps I use mostly the Ursa straps Uh, I think I have one of the Viviana straps I can't really see much of a difference between the two of those companies. I I see them like fighting online a lot and uh, I don't know. I don't really have a preference. I think they're they're both decent. They're both good. They both work. So
0: yeah, I've used the the Ursa a lot, and and I like those. And I I haven't tried Viviana, but I'm I'm open to try them. Like you said, I they're very they seem very similar.
1: Yeah, they as far as I could tell, I don't see a big difference. And actually, yeah, I just that's the other thing. Now that you mentioned Ursa again, I, I like their um what do they make? It's like a moleskin, but I forget what it's called. It's just like strips or something. I forget Ursa. It looks like moleskin, and it comes in like little strip pre cut strips. I think you can get bigger rolls of it too from them. But I do the, like the the pre-cut ones and it comes in like beige, black, white and brown. And I just like it because you can get it in like white, you know, before that I was mostly using like Dr. Shell's moleskin um, for that kind of application, but it's nice that like white exists. So if you're actually on a white dress shirt, you can get away with so much more like you can almost expose the mic. You can just barely even see that it's there. Yeah. Those are definitely in my little box of tricks.
0: Any particular stickies or adhesives you like?
1: Oh, yes. I'm glad you said that because, like, that's a whole, like, half of the case is dedicated to stickies. Um, yeah, my favorite, as far as adhesives go, I'm I'm torn about these because they're so good, but they're kind of expensive for, like, what, how much, you know, how much they give you. Rycote makes these stickies called Rycote Advanced Stickies, and they come in, like, circles and squares. And I get the squares because they fit pretty much perfectly on the back of those bubble bee concealers. So they're really fast to use and what they are is like if you look at it it almost looks like less than a millimeter of black foam with adhesive on each side of it. So it's like double-sided tape, but it's just got that little bit of squishiness to it. And I feel like it decouples better than like Topstick. And I I've been using Topstick for years cuz it's cheap and it's easy. And I still keep that in my kit too. But yeah, it's uh Something about that, the rye codes is just awesome. Like, I think they figured it out, and that's why they can charge so much money for them. They're literally like 50 cents for like a half-inch square of these things. So if you're ever doing like, you know, like a, one of those long interview days with like 20 people, you're just like, oh, man, I just blew like through $10 and, you know, goo. <laughs>
0: I have a bunch of ride coat stuff too, and and I I constantly am like tearing off the felt, you know, in case I need to use it again later, you know, and and then they've got a little furry patch that you can use too, and I was like, well, we didn't use that very long, and I'll peel that back, and we'll save that for later, because it is, it it adds up.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I mean, we build good money for what we do, so I can't complain. But yeah, the when when I look at like a like when you look at a bag of these, it comes in the mail, you're like, that's fifty dollars. <laughs> It's like a, it's just a little. It's like a baggy full of like you know little squares. You're like, all right, whatever it takes.
0: Well, as a family man, you've got kids. How do you handle the work and personal life balance?
1: Oh my god, I have no idea. That's my question to everybody else. <laughs> Every time I meet people with kids, I'm like, how do you do it? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tough balance. Uh, My wife is a guidance counselor at a high school, so she's kind of got the more stable, normal hours, and that works. And we also have this really amazing hookup. We're living, we're renting the second floor of her father's house, and he's retired. So we get him to just cover any, like, little transitional things we need with the kids. Like, oh, I got this 6 a.m. call. I can't drive the kids to school. Is there any way you can do it? And he's like, sure. So works out a lot of times. So that helps. And uh, man, you know, (laughs) it's like I I wanna get more into like the narrative world. I just joined the union here like a year ago and I've, you know, day played as like utility and boom on second units and stuff like that. And I did a half of a movie last winter for like three and a half weeks. And I like love the camaraderie of being on a sound department and it totally appeals to me and I feel like I'd love to get more into it, but the hours those guys do is insane. I'm just like, I can't imagine doing, you know, 16, 15, 16 hour days, five days a week, ruining all your Saturdays as well because of the split shifts and all that, all that fun stuff. But I don't know. I keep telling myself, maybe I'll hit a, a point in my life where like the kids, like, you know, don't care if I'm around as much, you know, once they get a little older and like eh, whatever. And then maybe I can start to like move more into that direction. But then I also think maybe by then I'll just be like this weathered sound guy who's just like, I'm not doing that, you know, <laughs> I'll just be like over it, you know, I don't know. We'll see, but I'm having fun. I, I just, um I just second boomed on something uh, Monday this week and yeah, it's cool. I like having other people, other sound people on set. It's nice to, you know, talk shop and see how they do things and you get to learn every time you work with a new mixer, you get or a new utility or a new boom. You get to learn new tricks and kind of see how where they're coming from with it. So, I think that's cool.
0: Well, did you have any mentors along the way that kind of helped you out?
1: Yeah. Well, so let's see. I had, um, as far as mentors, I had like um, a buddy of mine. And that's kind of how I got into this. So, I feel kind of guilty, especially when I like talk negatively about like the narrative life, because like I remember working with some of these guys on these movies, and I would just be like, "This is." this is crazy, like, how could anyone do this? And they're like, what do you mean, we do this all the time? And I'm like, oh yeah. And then like, it hit me, I'm like, yeah, I think I just kind of like started backwards. Like I started in corporate essentially. Um, I had a friend who was doing it. He was working like ENG sound and a little bit of docs, but mostly just like talking head interviews. And at the time I was working, just a brief background. I started in radio for like 10 years. And then I did, while I was doing that, I was, you know, working at nightclubs at night, doing front of house and monitors for bands. And then I was starting to dabble in like recording bands Then I ended up opening a recording studio. And then I did some like corporate AV. So I was kind of just doing a little bit of everything. And so when he told me about the fact, I guess he had hit a point where he was starting to get busy enough to, uh, be able to pass jobs along and he's like yeah he's like you know would you be interested in like doing these like i think you you could do this you know pretty easily so i did a job or i went on a job with him i think i kind of shadowed him once And i was like oh yeah this looks pretty cool and the money was pretty good so i was like cool so i basically just like transitioned and i was kind of at a point in my life where it made sense to kind of get out of like, the band lifestyle and world because i was getting older and kids and all that fun stuff. So I just kind of hit a point where I knew it was time. So sold some of my like super cool 1176 compressors from the studio and turned it into like a 633 and a shotgun mic. And from there, I just started getting more and more jobs and I just kept buying stuff and as I needed it. Yeah, I forget what the question was at this point, but.
0: <laughs> just the mentors along the way.
1: Oh, uh, mentors. So yeah, I would say that's a mentor. That's uh, Ben Didsbury. He kind of brought me into this world. I wish I had more mentors. Actually, now that you say it, I feel like I have more like colleagues, like dudes who are kind of like at the same level that I'm at, and we just talk and we trade gigs and you know we just touch base and kind of if I have a question about something I might run it by these guys and see what they know. And but like the mixer I worked with earlier this week, I had this this job come up where I knew I was going to be going from boat to boat, and so I just asked him and he gave me a couple little tips. You know, he just you know said might want to bring a shark fin. Yeah. He just, he just kind of put me at ease. He, I was like, am I forgetting anything? And he was like, no, he's like, I think you'll, uh, you'll be good as long as you, you're prepared. So, um, again, I like to just pick people's brains and, but yeah, if anyone wants to mentor me, hit me up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell the listeners about your worst onset experience.
1: <sighs> it's funny. Cause when I listen to your podcast, I always like listen to these people and their worst stories ever. And I always wonder, I'm like, what would I actually say if I was gonna say my worst story? I've definitely worked on sets that were just terrible, like uh, just bad shows that were poorly run. There was this one show I worked on, it was like a home, I don't wanna say too much about it, it was like a home decorating show or something. And they did, they did not know what they were doing, so it was just like uh, poorly run, poorly scheduled. They'd have the whole crew come in at like 6 a.m., and they'd be like, all right, we gotta get footage of these guys, ripping these carpets out. So we like get them ripping the carpets out and they'd be like, all right, now we gotta get footage of them painting the room. And then we'd like be like, okay. And then so they'd paint the room and then the next thing would be something like, uh, okay, now we have to have them put the new carpets in. We're like, they can't, they're gonna do this in one day. Like the paint has to dry and stuff like something like that. Just crazy, like unattainable goals. And which led to like consecutive like 17 hour days. And the crew was just so toasted. And I remember we were working one night in this living room somewhere. And I don't know, probably just because the, cr- the crew was so bleary-eyed, someone put a camera on a tripod and it didn't seat right. And I was kind of standing nearby. And so I look over out of the corner of my eye, I just see this like C300 just go Titanic. Like it just goes belly up and it basically falls off the back of the plate. There's like deck antennas flying all around the room and uh, just like shattered. And so when it hits the ground, it hits some C-stand, which didn't have a sandbag on it. And at the top of the C-stand, there's like some kind of a Joker 400 or 200, some kind of a smaller Joker. But if anyone knows that light, it's like a hot light. So that light comes down right into my face. And I can like feel it like, I kind of threw my shoulder at it so it wouldn't hit hit me actually in the face, but I could just feel like the heat just almost like singe my eyebrows. And that was like one of those moments where I was like, all right, don't freak out. Like just, (laughs) (laughs) but it was just the moment where you're like, I'm going to, I need to get out of this house. Like I can't be on this thing anymore. And, uh, we made so much money in overtime on that stupid show. But, um, yeah, those are one of those ones where you're just like, is this worth it? Is this what I want to do with my life? You know, like when you, when you find yourself on those gigs and, uh. And now that I've been doing this a little longer, I I think I know better. I'm like, yeah, no, I probably would have stopped saying yes to that (laughs) show a little sooner than I did. But yeah, just like bad, bad sets. Like uh, I did this other one that was like, it was some reality show that was terrible. And we were doing VO with this cast member. And he lived in this like disgusting apartment or no, it was like a house. And his dad lived in there too. And his dad smoked cigarettes. And I don't want to diss smokers, but, like, it's pretty gross when you smoke in your house. And so it's, like, me, the producer who's feeding him his lines, and the dad just sitting next to him on the couch just just cranking and smokes. And it's, like, the dead of summer. It's so hot and gnarly. They've got, like, dogs everywhere. It's just The whole place just stinks. It's gross. We were there until, like, 3 in the morning one night just doing VO because, like— the kid couldn't string together, like hit the four words they wanted him to say. He was just having so much trouble with it. And again, not his fault. He's not, you know, not a voiceover actor or anything like that. But uh yeah, just shows like that. That's like what kills me inside, like slowly.
0: <laughs> so those might be my worst ones. Did you ever forget any critical gear when you were on your way to set? Oh my god, yeah.
1: There was this one shoot. And I'm like pretty crazy about that kind of stuff. Like I've literally just been driving to a job and had to like pull over halfway there and be like, for some reason I just have this intuition that I forgot, whatever, my box of, you know, lavaliers or something like that. And I'll jump out, I'll pop the trunk open like on the way there on the highway and dig through all my stuff and be like, oh good, they're there, okay, great. And then I can, you know, I can like continue to the job. So I'm very vigilant about that. Uh, But there was this job where it was a corporate shoot, for some like defense contractor out in Arizona. So they flew me and a DP out from Boston. And the first day was a travel slash pre-lighting day, I guess. And it was like a, a corporate sit down panel. Essentially, it was like a fireside chat with like, I think four people on mic. So I got all my gear, we get on the plane, we get there. It's a long day of travel. And we go right from the airport to the uh, building we're gonna shoot at. And because it's like defense contractor stuff, it's on some like Navy or some like army base or something like that. And so there's a lot of like tight security just to even just get into like what it seems to me like the town, Like, like there's gates. It's like almost like a gated community to get into this world. So we get all the way in, we start setting up, they hired like a grip, gaff grip from, you know, some local company. They're doing their thing. I'm breaking open my stuff. I'm doing, I'm scanning, getting things set up. They're done with the pre-light at some point. We're like, all right, let's get out of here. Let's go get some dinner. So we go back. Oh, I remember wondering if I should leave my gear because it was like in this really high security facility. I'm like, it's not like it's gonna get stolen and like they're leaving all their lights. And I think they even left some of the cameras, but I was just like, eh, I don't know. I'm always, I'm so weird about my gear. You know, it's just like, I never want to leave it anywhere. So. It's like I think I'll take it with me, so I took it with me. Next morning we wake up, we uh, check out of the hotel because we're gonna do this shoot, and then immediately jump on a plane and come back. And I we get all the way in there, and I just look at like the they had a cart set up for me the day before where I was set up, and I look at the cart and I'm like, so where the where I thought I put my, I thought I put my sound bag down here, and it's not there. And I'm like, oh maybe I put it down over here by my coat. It's not there. And then I just had that like panic moment just come over me where I was like, (gasps) it's still in the hotel room next to the bed. Like I just, I could envision myself putting it there the night before. And I think I purposely almost like hit it on myself because I'm such a psycho that like, even when I leave stuff in my hotel room, I still kind of like hide it a little bit. I don't know if you do that, but like, if I'm just going out for dinner and I'm coming back, I'll like put my laptop like under the mattress. Like I'm just like weird like that. So I kind of hit it on myself. And so I just had this horrible feeling and i like luckily i knew we had like i don't know two or three hours before we had to shoot so i'm like there's time to go get it but the hotel was like 30 minutes away and then now it's rush hour on a weekday morning and i'm like so i have to i go to the dp and i kind of whisper because i want to make a big scene (laughs) i'm like hey bad news uh apparently i left my bag in the hotel he's like really and so and i'm also freaking out because i'm just so i get so weird about my gear like i like called the hotel i'm like having these like I'm, you know, visualizing like the the uh, cleaning staff, like putting it on eBay, like right as I'm, you know, as I'm standing there. So I call the hotel and like, I'm like, you need to run into that room right now and go find that bag and tell me that you have it in your hand and I'm gonna like hurry back there. So they ha- they held it for me. And then the worst part of this is I'm, you know, I feel like terrible now because I screwed up. And I drive back to the hotel and then I forgot that when I come back I have to go through all these like army checkpoints and stuff. And I don't know if I have like the right credentials to get back in. And like, because it's some weird army base, it's like not even on the map on a GPS. Like it's just like area 51 or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. So it was like, I was like totally sweating bullets, but it all worked out of course. And like, but I just, that was like the moment where I was like, okay, I need to like <laughs> have a little bit more of like, I don't know, some kind of protocol where I, that never happens again. So I never hide bags on myself anymore. That's what I learned out of that one yeah there was another one where i was doing a voiceover session for some reality show and the talent, man the talent on these reality shows they never want to do what they hate the show it's 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 so weird like i don't know if you ever do reality but i, I try not to do reality anymore it's just brutal but usually like the talent hates the show at some point because they're being you know exploited and whatever so in order to get this girl to come do her vo they don't have anywhere to do it and they want to do it remotely like via skype like the producer just wants to skype in and have her say a handful of lines so i rented a real small sound stage from a friend of mine so they hired a local pa to like literally go get this girl and put her in the car and make sure she showed up for a vo session so she shows up i've built like a little blanket tent out of some c-stands and stuff sound blankets and the producer calls in on the skype on like the uh, pa's laptop i guess We're all set up and ready to hit record. He says something like, all right, let's do the VO first. And then in my mind, I'm like, the VO first? Like, are we only doing VO? And then I just, another moment of panic came over me where I was like, oh my God, a week ago, they sent me a a camcorder (laughs) in the mail, like FedExed it to me and asked me to bring it to the shoot because they wanted to shoot some of like these reality TV, like video diaries or whatever. And so, I had that moment of like, oh no, that's sitting on my dining room table right now. So, luckily my uh, father-in-law was home (laughs) that day, so I just texted him like behind the scenes, and I was hoping that like the VO would take long enough to cover the trip. I thought about sending the PA to go get it, but it would would have taken her double the time, obviously, to go there and come back. So it was just quicker, and he was happy to be around, and he was more than willing to do it for me. So it was huge. So I just. They never knew that happened, you know, which was, was what I was hoping, <laughs> hoping, <laughs> but it literally timed out perfectly. Like he texted me, I'm in the parking lot. I'm like, whisper to the PA, I'm like, go in the parking lot. There's a guy with the thing, get it. And she's like, okay. And then like within two minutes, they were like, all right, let's move on to this camcorder stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, perfect. So it all worked out, but yeah, that's give you a heart attack.
0: Oh, wow, that's a nice one. All right. Well, if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently?
1: Well, I think I kind of hinted on this a little bit earlier, but I, I can't help but like wish that I had found this world, this, this avenue of sound because I've been doing sound for 20 years, but I've really only been doing location recording, sound mixing for, I don't know, probably just under five years at this point. So I'm still fairly new to this game. I really like the narrative world and I, and I would like to do more of that kind of stuff. Um, but again, the lifestyle stuff's kind of getting in the way of, like, family life. So if I could do it all again, I'd say try to find this world sooner so I would have been younger. And maybe when I was 25, I'd be willing to do the, like, no-budget tier zeros and all that fun stuff. But right now, things are too good otherwise, so I can't do it. It's like it's, it's like I joked with someone the other day. I'm like, the problem is I just don't have the time to pay my dues. Like, as far as, you know, doing the the low-budget, terrible movies that nobody wants to do. But if I was 25, yeah, I would, I would be all over those, you know. So I guess if I could do it all again, that's probably the only thing I would change. But I love what I do. Like, I really genuinely like this line of work. And um, I feel like I, you know, a lot of days have a dream job. And, yeah, I wouldn't change too much.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. You know, I have two girls. And, yeah, you make some career sacrifices to some degree, but you still get to enjoy this career, this this industry, so it's finding that balance, right?
1: Yeah, and that's, that is what I like about what I do because I am freelance, you know, and uh, so every day is, could be something different and, and it usually is, and there's you know there's those boring days where you're sitting around doing an interview or whatever, but I like those days too, you know, especially if you do like like this week, for example, like I boomed Monday, I boomed on a movie. Tuesday I worked with uh, This Old House, which is a pretty cool gig. It's mostly just like lavaliers on that show. And then today I was like doing some, you know, we were out on the out on the ocean doing some boat-to-boat type stuff. And, yeah, tomorrow is like a corporate interview. So it's like a little bit of everything. Uh, it's keeps it like a, just enough variety where it doesn't get too stale, you know?
0: Exactly. No, I agree. And, and it's much better than sitting behind a desk for 40 hours a week. Yeah. Well, um, if some of our listeners wanted to get started in production sound, what kind of tips or advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, this is another one where I, I wonder because uh, like I like I said, I feel like I kind of got into this backwards. Um, so if I for a young person, I would say do whatever you can, like get your hands on anything you can get, like try to and try everything out too. Like maybe you won't like booming, but you'll like sound mixing, and you know. And I find those positions to be so different too. Like I when I do day play as a boom op sometimes, it really like reinforces my respect for boom operators. I'm like, man, this is such a crazy role. Like, cause it's not just the physical swinging of a pole. It's, you gotta be like, you know, you have to know what everybody's doing on set. It's really amazing. Like how in tune you have to be, to be at least be a good boom op. But yeah, I would say just get your hands on whatever you can do, do those low budget, no budget, whatever passion projects. And I think pretty quickly after doing a couple of those, you're gonna know if you wanna continue doing this. And then it's just a matter of just like sticking with it and try to meet people um, in your area who do it. Even if they're like the old guys or whatever, just reach out and let them know who you are. And um, like, I've had some younger people hit me up who are just starting out, you know, I ended up hiring them as like an A2 for, you know, some random job and it worked out great. So, you know, as far as gear goes, it definitely helps to have gear to work in this kind of world just because for some reason, sound mixers tend to have their own stuff, whereas the other departments can, you know, could often rent camera, et cetera. Yeah, just start small. I mean, like a lot of the gear out now is like so inexpensive compared to what it used to be, and there's a lot of like budget-friendly kind of prosumer options out there that you can go make a movie with if you wanted to. So,
0: Well, this has been good, Jim. I appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, as we kind of start to wrap things up, uh, what's the best way for people to find you online?
1: People can find me online... Instagram. It's just my name, Jim Keeney, and uh, the name of my company is Hub Location Sound. So if you go to hublocationsound.com, that's my website. And uh, I got an email contact form on there if anyone wants to hit me up. And otherwise, I guess I would push people at the YouTube channel that I have going on because I am working on a new video right now that I shot like a month ago, but I just haven't had time to edit it. But it's close. It's getting close. And it's basically like a tour of my uh, my cart setup. The company's called SoundCart, and they make these like upright kind of modular eighty twenty carts. And so I'm going to run through that because that's something I've been working on and showing pictures of on Instagram, and people have been asking me questions about it. So that's my latest uh, project, creativity-wise. So, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for
0: having me on the show, man. This is great. Awesome. Nice. All right. I want to say thanks to Jim Keeney for being on the show today. Thanks, Michael. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts, and for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.